Connecting with others and creating a relationship with the people around you is a critical part of building a sustainable copywriting business. If you're not connecting regularly with people that you might work with someday, you will eventually run out of clients. To talk about how we don't let that happen to you. And speaking of creating connections and relationships, hi, we're Rob Marsh and Kira Hug, the hosts of the Copywriter Club podcast. And Kira, I'm pretty sure that's the very first time we've ever said our names in the intro. Yeah, I'm I'm Kira Hug. It feels good to finally share that with the world. Why did it take us so long? 350 episodes and we've been hiding back there, but now that we've established this relationship, we're thrilled to introduce our guest for this episode, who is copywriter Jess Kelly. And Jess shared how she discovered copywriting, how neurodiversity impacts how she works and sees the world, and what she does to connect with others. In this interview, it's, that's an activity that attracts new clients to her business and an idea that we can all steal or borrow and use in our own businesses. Stick around to hear what Jess shared. But first, this episode is sponsored by the Copywriter Accelerator, which is our business building system that we put together for copywriters and content writers like you to figure out how to put the foundation of your business together um, so that you know how to attract the right clients, you know what to focus on in your business, you have your positioning dialed in so you know what makes you different from every other writer out there, your signature package, and even a starter package that you can sell and introduce to the world. You've nailed down your pricing, you know how to show up and where to show up to build your visibility, um, and, and so much more. And so it's really everything you need to run and grow a copywriting business. And it's all one program. So you get all of it bundled together. And Rob and I walk you through the entire program along with an incredible group of generous writers who will do it alongside you. So we're kicking that off in just a few weeks. And if you have any interest or you've heard about it before and you want to learn more about the Copywriter Accelerator, you can learn more at the Copywriter Accelerator Dot com and sign up there to get on the, the wait list if you want to receive updates when we do officially open the doors to it. Okay, let's kick off our episode with Jess Kelly. Jess, so excited to have you here. And I know I personally can't wait to hear your story. So how did you end up as a copywriter? I stumbled into copywriting when I went to journalism right out of high school. And very quickly left. I did not like the way reporting was done. It felt like there was like a lot of bias and uh, like the way they were training us. It looked like they were basically training us to incorporate like bias and, and skewed sort of news. It didn't feel good. And then I didn't want to be an observer. They told me I had to be an observer, not a participant. It didn't feel good, but I'm a writer, right? And so they also told me if I wrote novels, I would starve. <laughs> and uh, so I ended up in... in food service. And fast forward, like I, I trained as a nurse, but I have a wimpy immune system. So that was a no-go. But I learned a lot there about interacting with people and creating that rapport and like being able to talk to them about like really like deep and personal things, but like at the same time as like making them feel comfortable and at ease sharing those things with me. So interviewing and, um, and like health teaching were a big part of my training as a nurse. And I get to use those a lot today. And so then mostly food service and then the pandemic happened and I was managing this cafe and, and I loved it. Like I really did. And I, I adored my boss. She would, she has a home in the Bahamas. So in the winter she would go off to the Bahamas and I would hold down the fort and I really loved it. During the pandemic, this became very like intense. She's off in the Bahamas and I'm here handling like staff and, and open, close, order the food because we're going to be open again. Oh wait, no, we're not everything's spoiled. And I just realized I was like running someone else's business. And as much as I loved her and I loved the cafe and I loved the opportunity, the pandemic just like really revealed that it was a really unstable place to be. And so I started looking into being, making money as a writer again. And I was thinking I was going to freelance write for children's magazines because I digest like complicated stuff into like easy to access. And uh, so I started, I got into a writer's group, Write Your Way to Freedom in 30 Days or some, something like that. There's little activities to do once a day 
for 30 days and we get partway through and he did an interview with the copywriter, Jacob McMillan. And I was like, oh, copywriting. I didn't really realize this was a thing because when I was going into journalism out of high school, like marketing was not like I didn't even consider it because that was very, again, I was a young idealist, right? And that was just marketing was evil. (laughs) And so I was listening to this interview where Jacob was talking about copywriting and he's talking about how the tone, it's very, it's having a conversation like with the reader. And I was like, oh, because when I'm trying to plan to write like articles, you have to edit that out. And my natural tone is very like conversational. So I was like, oh, this could be the thing if I like this might be the best fit. And so I got on his email list and started, and I think I opened two of them. It was like in November, like I was not that serious about it. And I happened to, in November, open an email from him that was like, hey, this is the best deal in copywriting this month. I won't even sell you my course because it's not as valuable as this thing. So here's the link to the reading. You know, we were talking about it. Go check this out. And so I I watched this replay on YouTube around Black Friday in November 2021. And there was like eight or more, eight, 12. There's a bunch of copywriters who had contributed products and, and courses to this bundle. And I guess I didn't know at the time they were in like this affiliate contest. And so it seemed like a really great entry point. Like here I was going to get these like 16 different products and exposure to 16 different people and companies that were doing this. And Copywriter Club was one of the products. I think it was like recordings of one of the IRLs. And so I got into this bundle of stuff. I didn't actually buy it through Jacob's link because I started getting on the email lists of the other copywriters that were there. And we say... What we do is we're like, hey, hit reply. And so I did. And I started to build a relationship with Lori Morgan because when I hit reply, she replied back to me and and we just really hit it off. And so then when I realized that it was like an affiliate contest, like I sent Jacob a message. I was like, I'm sorry. Like I didn't realize, like I went ahead and bought it through somebody (laughs) else. It's like you were banished from the list. But I was like, I really do want your program because his bonus was like, you get his program or whatever. And he was like, no, I get it. Because he didn't reply to my, his initial welcome sequence where I I like hit reply and said, hey, like this is who I am and stuff. And so he thought it was funny and everything. And I didn't buy his course. And so everything is good. But that's when I realized that building relationships just becomes really natural to me because it's, it's a really like authentic thing. And so I started exploring some of those products and stuff, and I was getting Copywriter Club emails because now I'm on the Copywriter Club email list. And like the, I loved, it's very, like, it was very me. And, and I kept telling myself, I've already spent on this bundle. And like, I have so many things inside this bundle that like, I, I still have to explore. Like it, and I'm not, I'm not yet a professional copywriter. I'm not yet making money. Like this doesn't, but you guys were were talking about the accelerator. And so it was like, that would be such a good thing, but probably maybe a little bit in the future because I didn't have anything really to accelerate. But you guys do this really amazing thing where, you know, just before the doors close, you're like, hey, get on a 10 minute call with one of us. And so I hopped, I was like, all right, fine. So I hopped on that 10 minute call with Rob and we had a discussion. And because I have this philosophy of coming at things from like a place of like experimentation, not expectation, which is something that I heard Shanti say in that that initial phone, that initial YouTube video I was watching of like everybody discussing their different products and why to be a copywriter. And so it was like, Rob was like, if, if that's the way you're going to come at it, then, you know, that's, then you can experiment, right? Like we can, you can build it up and we'll go in one direction. And if it's not, it doesn't feel right, then and you're okay with it. You can just choose a new direction and start something new. And like everything's done through blueprints and we build with blueprints, right? We have a blueprint before we build the thing. So it felt like the right fit. So I jumped in and uh, yeah, like it's, I, I found myself through all of those conversations because we have to, we jumped into these 15 minute calls with all of our peers and our colleagues. And I was really anxious and nervous because I'm introverted. 
But it was these conversations with these strangers. And they're like, wow, like this is a really cool thing that you do. Or wow, like you're really great like this way. And it was just so inspiring and uplifting and encouraging. And then sort of everything that I was learning about myself as I was working through like the modules and the blueprints. And it was just like, it wasn't like I was just becoming a copywriter and like growing this professional side of myself, but it was like, it really helped me like with that personal development side. And so, yeah, I'm like made by the Copywriter Club. <laughs> wow. I had no idea that's how you found us or how you made your way into the accelerator. So that's interesting because we, you talk about that promotion and we jumped in, but we didn't actually do a, I think we sent two emails and a lot of the others who were in it were, you know, emailing like nine times a day or whatever and emailing about how they were beating all of these copywriters. We're like, we'll see. And we might've looked back and thought we, we sold three or four, not a big deal, probably won't do it in the future and not really seeing it as having impacted anybody. And then you come and share that story. So that's really gratifying to hear because it's nice that we were able to play some small part in that that journey. So thanks for sharing that, Jess. I want to go back to something that you said about being a nurse, about getting to know clients and developing those interviewing skills. Will you give us some examples of how that developed and the kinds of discussions that you had? Because I think oftentimes we think about interviewing as something that we need to do. And we have the set list of questions, but sometimes that doesn't actually create a relationship, a personal connection. Sometimes we're just going through the motion in order to get some words in order to drop into a sales page or whatever. We just talk a little bit more about that empathy relationship that happens between the nurse and the patient and how it translates to copywriting. There is when, when you're working with a new patient, you get like a history, right? And so you're asking them about some pretty deep, personal, like intense stuff, like depending on the reason that they're seeking like care that day. And so there's just something about making sure if you, they have to be, you want them to be completely honest with you because that's the only way that you're going to give them the highest level of care that they've come to receive. But people are reluctant to share those sort of deep sorts of things, especially with a student. And uh, so I'm not really sure about the process. Like, it's just, I just show up as me, like the most authentic, like open version of myself that I could, because I felt like, A, that was the best way. If I was vulnerable with them, because they were in a vulnerable place, that it would be in, the, in their benefit and it would help build that rapport. And also, I just don't really know how to be any other way. Like, <laughs> I'm autistic. And, and I found that out late in life, but that's, yeah, like I almost mimic the people that I'm in front of. And so when you're in these situations with like vulnerable people who are seeking healthcare, and I didn't really realize what I was doing, but like they're sitting in front of me and showing up with a certain energy and in a certain way. And it was just like my natural inclination to maybe mirror that to them. And I think that probably had a lot to do with just how easy it was for people to open up. And, and there's a lot of follow-up because <clears throat> there's, we do a big part of a nurse's job is to do what we call like health teaching. So the doctor comes in <clears throat> and does all the diagnosing and the very technical stuff. But then when they leave the room, it's the nurses there to help patients understand like what the doctor said, what they meant, exactly how the best ways to implement everything that the doctors suggested and in it's just a very human like vulnerable interaction and I just when people ask like how are you doing today how are you feeling they don't want you to answer yeah yeah we say fine because <laughs> it's the default right yeah I didn't know that people would my whole life be like how are you doing or like how are you and I would just go into it and they're like Ooh. <laughs> oh, we don't really <laughs> want to know too much yeah. Jess yeah it's <laughs> You know, that, that's just a really kind of like in a nutshell that like it never occurred to me ever to not just be open and like honest and vulnerable, like in any situation with any person, because it was it's literal, right? You asked. <laughs> okay. When we were outlining bits and pieces of your story before recording, you mentioned the curse of the hyper-developed gifted child and that you spent 26 years trapped at 17. And so 
please unpack that and tell me what that looked like for you and how that's formed how you show up as a writer, how you show up as a business person today. I was like, I'm smart, like, you know, but I was really, I was really eager as a little kid. And I'm the oldest of my siblings and the oldest of my cousins on my mom's side. So I had a lot of adult attention. And I guess people realized that they could teach me stuff. And before I'm starting kindergarten, like I can write in cursive and I can do long division and different things. My grandfather spent a lot of time teaching me things. And I was like a prolific like reader and I was already writing stories and stuff before, like while my classmates were still trying to figure out how to write their names. And so I had a really hard time relating to my peers and connecting with other kids And it was started being pointed out to me in school that like I was weird and I was odd and I was different. And so you don't want to be weird or odd or different. And so I realized that maybe the best way to not come off that way was just to mimic the people that were around me that were maybe not being told that they were weird or strange. It didn't super work. Because I still had trouble maintaining long-term meaningful connections with my peers, but I got better at making that initial connection. I would have, I would start in a new classroom and like I, I would start out where I was like in with the other kids and stuff. But by the time we're like on Christmas break, everybody had found me out or whatever. And I no longer felt really part of that group. And that kind of went like right from kindergarten all the way through high school and it was strange. But the hyper-developed part, like by the time I was eight, they were testing me, like doing that like IQ test piece and saying, they're like, okay, so, you know, you're gifted. And we're going to, I think in grade two, it was actually like Wayne Gretzky's like 33rd birthday that I entered a third grade classroom. So I did the first part of the year in a second grade classroom and then entered into a third grade classroom. And at the time, They do an independent education plan. And the primary concern, like that red flag, was that I preferred the company of adults to that of my peers. And while I was very like smart and very capable academically, they were a little bit concerned about that social development piece and like what that was going to mean. And so it's like I was like eight years old and just waiting for my like 18th birthday. It's like there was all of these things in life that I was smart and and I could think out and like I really wanted to be a part of but you had to be 18 to be a grown up. And so I felt like I was just forever like waiting to turn 18. But then by the time I actually did turn 18, I had a really difficult time as a teenager like I left home at 16. I suffered a lot with like mental health issues. And like I said, I didn't, we didn't know I was autistic as a young person. And at 15, I had a psychiatrist tell me I was narcissistic, borderline, and histrionic personality disorders, which is problematic because A, we don't diagnose children with personality disorders. B, histrionic personality disorder is basically calling someone a drama queen. And it was already outdated. Like by the time they gave me this diagnosis... And my mom had already suspected or not, but she had already added up that, okay, I just have this really like intense and dramatic sort of child. Mm -hmm. And that's typical for teenage girls and eventually she'll outgrow it. And so I had this psychiatrist telling her like clinically she's, she's selfish and she's a drama queen and she's attention seeking because narcissism, self-centered, borderline attention seeking and histrionic, like intense and dramatic because I think I was eight the first time I crawled up in my mom's bed and I was like, I'm not okay. And she's like, I don't really understand what you mean. I was like, I don't feel right. Like, I don't feel okay. And no one really knew what to do with that. So by the time I was a teenager, like, I felt like I'd been suffering so long and I'd been so disconnected from any sense of, like, self that I got into, like, drugs and alcohol very young because it was the only way I found relief And at the same time, it was solving some of those social issues because like teens, we get together in the bush and have a party like and stuff like that. And so drugs and alcohol helped me feel a little bit of relief. And it also gave me this connection to my peers. 
So by the time I turned 18, you know, this sort of like moment I'd been waiting for like ever to start my real life, I was no longer in a position to actually do any of those things. I was like really trapped in this place of depression and like substance abuse because every time I would go to a mental health provider and say, I need help. They're looking at this file that's following me around saying I'm narcissistic, borderline and histrionic. And they're like, we can't help you. There is no help for you. So more drugs, more alcohol, because what am I like, what am I supposed to do with that? And I took two years off in the middle of high school and then went back and got it together and graduated. And it's funny, I had this conditional acceptance into the journalism program. Um, and it was really hard to get into at Ryerson University. And I had peers in my classes who were like, oh, I didn't get in. You're so lucky. And then when I left like six months in, they were so mad. As you think about those experiences, Jess, and obviously not just the things that are going on inside your head, but the way you're dealing with it, what, like, how did you reconcile and come to the point where, oh, this is okay, I can overcome some of those addiction issues, or I can form the relationships that I need to get the support, the correct diagnosis? How did all of that happen? I've been like, I was trying to find help and doctors are like, okay, we can't help you. There's no treatment for you. And I finally I kept persisting. And so I got set up with Canadian Mental Health Association when I was 20 or so, because now I'd been to journalism, realized that wasn't the thing that I was looking for. And so now I wanted to go into nursing because journalism was like, I don't want to be an observer. I want to be a participant, you know, like I care very authentically, very deeply about the human experience and individuals. I'm not sure if it's because like I felt so like separate and disconnected and I wanted very much to not have other people feel that way. So I'm going into nursing, but I'm still struggling with these like really serious like bouts of depression and substance abuse. And so I had this caseworker and she's amazing. I love her so much. I wish I knew where she was today because it would be really great for her to see like how far I've come. So she was, she had another client that had seen a new psychiatrist in my area. And she decided that when she had that meeting with that other client, she said, I think he's a really good fit for you. So let's try and get you in there with him. And so it was when I sat down with this doctor and he was like, there's stuff going on here, but I don't think it's those things. And, and while I was trying to train as a nurse, we're also testing. Like now it's okay. So it's not narcissism. It's clearly not histrionic. You have a bipolar disorder and there's clearly like a social anxiety disorder and you have these obsessive compulsive tendencies and you're strange. Like borderline kind of fits in terms of because I struggled with my sense of identity and I struggled with feelings of like abandonment and rejection. And I struggled with those like long-term meaningful connections. And so I had this psychiatrist and he's, you have these traits and these characteristics from all of these different diagnoses, but you don't really fit any of them in one specific way. And so he used to sit across from me, just, oh, you're such a mystery. <laughs> and I was like, that's great. And so we were testing all of these different like medication combinations and stuff because he believed in me. He really wanted me to be a nurse. He knew as like a psychiatrist that like the healthcare world needed more people like me. And so he really wanted me to be successful. And so his specialty, like psychiatry and also where I am in Canada, like we have universal healthcare, which is great. But it's also not like super comprehensive, right? So because it's like a free thing and I'm showing up to the hospital, like I get 10 to 20 minutes and it's mostly about prescribing medication and making sure that there aren't any adverse reactions from that medication. And so we were stuck trying to operate inside this like really restricted model. And I saw him for about 10 years and near the end of it, he's like, we should test you for ADHD. And I was like, all right. And it's not something they think of with little girls when, especially when they're smart and in engaged in school. And so then it's, I scored like off the charts for this, for like ADHD. And so he's like, all right, like maybe that sort of solves the mystery. 
But what actually, like I realized when my son was diagnosed with autism, the like the week of the pandemic, the week that, you know, March 14th, 2020, when everything is like shutting down, my son is getting this autism diagnosis. And so I start joining all these parent groups and all these things. And there's a ton of women who lived very similar experiences where they were intense or overly sensitive or like really struggled in like social situations. And so they turned to like to drugs and to alcohol or, and then realized as you got to later in life that when they had sons being diagnosed, that was actually what was going on. And so when I look at that hodgepodge of all those things, it's autism. It checks all those boxes, right? It's like the identity and it's that that literal, like everything like what is what you get. And I don't understand why other people don't do that. All those like social anxiety pieces and the OCD tendencies, like all the little bits that we had to cherry pick from all of these like really weird pathological, like mental health sort of things were just very natural autistic traits. And so I like to tell people is that my filters and my connections are different. The stuff that comes in is different. The stuff that goes out is different. The way that I connect like to other people into the world around me is different, but it's not bad. But they had me thinking it was bad, right? They had me thinking it was something that was like, I was wrong. I was broken. I was deficient. So going back to the hyperdeveloped child thing is I had all these like grownups looking at me and thinking, it's so sad if you just tried a little harder, if you just applied yourself like just a little more. Like you could be so much and it was from like a place of love, but what that does to a person who is absolutely trying as hard as they can and who has now become very invested in this idea of my identity is very wrapped up in being like smart and being like mature for my age. And so by the time I get to 18, I can't function. And now I can't do any of those things that I was waiting so long to turn 18 to be able to do, right? To go and to travel and to do the grown up things. And so now I've turned 18 and it feels like I'm stuck at 17 again, because it feels like I'm almost ready to do all those things that I was waiting to turn 18 to do. But I'm like just a little, you know, like it's just a little out of reach. And like, I just really loved like childish things and lots of like really bright colors and and that very literal. So it's like, I felt, very much like I was trapped as like a teenager until I got to this point that I realized, oh, it's autism. And that feels really good because it it solves so many mysteries. And then when I take that lens and I reflect on these like really painful, terrible experiences, it makes sense. Like I was always so baffled by my own like existence. And so this new lens was like, oh, and so I finally found that piece. Like it, like it, yeah, it felt the first time. I, today is my thirty seventh birthday, and on my thirty fifth birthday was the first time I said out loud, "I'm autistic." And it was like from that moment on, this sense of like ease and like alignment with my sense of self returned. And then I, I had been in a program of sobriety and, and complete abstinence, like headed into the pandemic, and I relapsed. A lot of people had a lot of problems during the pandemic, like with their sobriety and addiction and found I was discovering this bit about myself. And once I had that sense of that real sense of self, like that connection inside, I just put down the bottle because it was bringing this fog into my brain that I used to seek out because I wanted to escape the way that I was feeling like, but now that I finally had this very precious sort of thing, the fog was threatening that. And I was not willing to like give that up. So at a time when like my friends were dying, I just put down the bottle and moved on. And so that's when I really realized that I don't think I I so much had a problem, like a real substance abuse problem. I had like a, a a crisis of self. And so once I was connected again and I didn't want to feel foggy, I started thinking about how many women have we lost this way? Like how many women did we lose to, to suicide or substance abuse or just like really unsatisfied existence because they were told like, you're not trying hard enough or if you just tried a little harder. And so it's really motivated me. One of the other things I'm doing besides copywriting is I'm researching to write a book on like the dangers of misdiagnosing humans born as females. <laughs> not sure how to really word that it could be in a title, but yeah, because it's like, 
what I'm grateful. I'm lucky that like I was able to have this revelation in this, like I could start late in life, but I can't help but wonder like how many other assigned female at birth individuals did not have the same um, opportunities that I did. All right, let's get into it. Uh, Rob, you want to kick it off? Yeah, so there are a few things that stood out to me as Jess was talking. Number one was just, um, it was a line she said that just kind of piqued my interest or caught my ears as listening through. And she said, experimentation, not expectation. That was on a call where she and I were talking about you know, different approaches to her business or anyone's business. And this kind of harks back to something we've talked about a few times on the podcast and our programs, but our deep belief that everything is an experiment. There is no failure. You can try different niches. You can try different products. You can try different clients. You can try different prices. Everything about your business is changeable. It's updatable. It's improvable. And trying new things is how you grow. And you know, I've loved watching Jess do that as she went through the accelerator. And, and as she mentioned, it's just amazing to see what she's done with her business since she just started out at, at almost nothing. Yeah. And, and Jess shared part of her story around dropping out of journalism because she didn't want to just be an observer. She wanted to be a participant interesting to see how she showed up in the accelerator program with us because she definitely was not an observer. She was a full on participant um, who, I mean, she showed up to, I think every call that we hosted in that program. And she not only showed up, but she was on video. She was the first one to share a win or to ask a question. She was highly engaged and I think it's something worth noting because it sounds like it's easy to do that and maybe even expected, but most people don't. And I know when I'm in programs, I typically am more of an observer and uh, I don't, I'm not naturally an active participant, but you and I saw the benefits of her doing that. We were able to get to know her well. She was able to get to know all the other writers in the room. And she's so good at doing that, just fully showing up. And I don't think it's easy to do, but it's worth us all trying to do that. Um, and for her, it's turned into so many different relationships, you know, with people like Jacob McMillan, where she just responded to an email and built a relationship there. Um, so many other relationships that she talks about in this conversation did that because she wasn't afraid to make that personal connection and that even that intimate connection and not assume that people don't want to hear from her or that she shouldn't or that she should just be an observer. She really, is just great at that piece of it. And I think I can learn from her and we, you know, we can all learn from her and how she shows up in the world. Yeah, I think the takeaway here, I mean, first of all, everybody listening should join the Accelerator. It is a business changing program. But if you're not in the Accelerator, you're, you're doing something else, right? The takeaway here is being open to new experiences, but showing up for them, being present in them. You know, if you're going to take a training or if you're going to try a new thing, if you're going to launch a new service in your business or reach out, make a new connection, like show up be there 100%, look for you know how that opportunity is going to branch out and impact your business. There are so many ways to do that and do as copywriters. I admire how Jess has done it. Yeah, you said that better than I did. So well, well done. So Jess also talked a little bit about interview skills and connecting with empathy. And I know we, we'll talk even more about this later on in the episode, but her experience in the medical field as a nurse you know, being vulnerable, like all of that plays a role in getting to know our clients, in working with their customers and helping them achieve more. So while while it'd be really hard for most of us to go back, you know, to nursing school and have that same kind of experience, I think that we can borrow that idea and think about, okay, you know, if I'm a caretaker in this relationship with my client, you know, what do I need to be concerned about them? Uh, making sure that they're comfortable, making sure that they're looked after, making sure that their needs are met. And that may just be a new level of service that some of us can bring. to. Yeah. And I know we talked uh, a good amount about Jess's story as a kid. And, you know, that, that really stuck out to me, uh, especially just um, really feeling for her as a child and with children myself, uh, knowing the ramifications if someone is misdiagnosed at such a young age and that isolation you can feel. So this is less of like a business lesson and just more of an appreciation for her being so open with her story 
because uh, I think that is something that I will pay attention to with my own kids, um, knowing how how horribly wrong it can go when we are not careful and the medical field is not careful with with diagnosing children um, and what can happen from that. So I think that was just a really uh, interesting uh, opportunity for us to explore something we typically don't explore on this podcast. And I appreciated that. Yeah, it's a nice reminder that we all have different capabilities and abilities and different ways of thinking, different ways of seeing the world. And uh, a reminder just not to dismiss people who are different in some ways um, and valuing the the rich diversity that's out there as far as the way that you know all of our brains work. Okay, let's get back to our interview with Jess to find out more about her business and what it's been like to shift into a new version of herself. Jess, I wonder what you would say or what advice you would give to other adults as far as what to say to the child, to the young Jess at age eight when you're like, something doesn't feel right and you're being misdiagnosed. You know, what would be the right words or questions to ask to talk to you so that it's not so soul crushing and isn't more confusing and doesn't separate you from your identity even more. And I'm just asking in terms of if we see that kid or know that kid, how do we talk to them? It's a really great question. And I think it's really just about believing them. Yes, it's it's a very small person and and they don't have the benefit of like your experience and, and knowledge as like an adult. But we know ourselves, like from the time that, you know, like we're really little and, and I think adults are really dismissive of like of kids, sort of their experiences and their opinions because they're just kids. So if, if a young person is coming to you with a very grown up like statement, then believe, I guess, not dismissing it, not trying to make it small, not trying to make it small, like the child is small you know, believing that like the small person could have this very big problem. And then that place of like experimentation, not expectation, ask questions. And, and yeah, if you have a doctor who wants to tell you that your, your child under 18 is basically just broken and has like personality disorders, don't buy that. Jess, I want to change, we could talk about this all day long, right? But I do want to talk about your business and some of the things that you've been able to build. So you mentioned the experience of finding these courses, eventually finding the accelerator and working through that. Will you just talk us through that process of figuring out the kind of work that you wanted to do as a copywriter and how you have started to build your client roster and the kind of work that you're doing today? Yeah, I wanted the one of the really appealing things about copywriting was the idea that I could show up and be a ghostwriter like I could really remain like in anonymous and behind the scenes and then it was joining the accelerator and having these conversations with the other accelerator members and the other thing I did was I reached out to a lot of the accelerator alumni so not just my cohort, not just the ones who were going through the program with me. We had a kickoff call with the alumni who had just graduated. And there was some, like I ended up reaching out to Shanti like fairly early. And she had been through the accelerator quite a bit earlier than or a few cohorts before me. And so it was, yeah, it was just building relationships with other copywriters and having them say, that's a that's a really unique perspective that you bring or that's a really like that's really valuable and this was really great like having this conversation with you and so being so positively received and feeling like I was like seen and literally too because all of this is happening on Zoom and so I can actually see myself in the little the little video screen and when you see yourself, because a lot of the time we're not seeing ourselves live our lives, right? Like we're not living in front of a mirror, but this unique sort of like pandemic, let's do everything online, sort of allowed me to actually watch myself grow into this sort of comfortable, like professional. And because I also used to do a lot of work in front of the mirror when I was like, when I was like really working on that, like spiritual, like personal development, like just get up and show up for myself every day. I would sit in front of my mirror and I would write things on it with a dry erase marker, affirmations and stuff like you're awesome, like whatever. But 
watching, like actually like watching yourself become a new version of yourself is, is really powerful. And so while having these conversations and we show up like once a week to, to learn from you guys, right? And that's one of the things I loved about the accelerator. It was very like school. Like I got to show up and have a lecture almost. And then I had like homework and then people like reviewed it. And, and I had a group, like a study group, like a copy crew. We still meet every two weeks, by the way. And so it was, yeah, like I wanted, I showed up thinking that I wanted to be like really invisible. And then it was being a part of the TC community that made me feel really comfortable with the idea of not being invisible and that visibility was, was an option for me. And, and yeah, like, I think one of the first photos I put up, like on my, like my website, my socials had like my sunglasses because it felt safe and it felt more comfortable. But now like the photo that shows up is very so like bright, sunny, like Jess, like my hand is even in it. And the cool thing about that picture is it wasn't planned or taken. Like my fiance is a photographer. And so he's really good at like just watching me and then being like, hey, honey. And then I look up and, and then like snapping the picture, right? It, yeah, I had peers saying, this is, you're great and you're valuable and you have this thing to offer. And, and I could see myself the same way that they were seeing me. And it just became possible. Yeah. And we had a firsthand seat watching you, all of you, but on Zoom and just, but watching you specifically, the way you show up and the way you showed up at the beginning of the accelerator and then at the end of it, four or five months later, it's radically different. And um, it was really cool to see that firsthand. I'm wondering because we're talking about relationships and that's been such a big part of your business and really has come full circle from your struggle as a kid where you had this disconnect and you didn't know why. And now it's like, that's your go-to method is connecting to other people and building your business that way. But could you break that down even further for people who are like, okay, I can build a business connecting with people. That's my specialty, but what does that even mean? How do I do that? How do I go after role models and pitch and talk a little bit more about that. I guess step one is show up. Like none of it works, none of it happens if you don't show up. Go to the spaces. I don't know, there's probably not a lot of, it was probably a really random opportunity that I had this like bundle with 16 different copywriters that I could start answering. Uh, their welcome sequence, hit reply and let me know who you are and what you're up to. And so that was a big thing. And so I guess if you don't have a bundle of, of products to buy, Google, I guess, look up other copywriters and sign up for their lists and, and get on those lists and hit reply because most of us do want you to do that. We do love that. We do engage with all the answers that we get. And yeah, like just show up and reach out. And it's a really safe like community to do that in. I think a lot of us are really, like, more of us are introverted than not. And I think... A, it's a common theme and experience or I've found with the copywriters that I'm building relationships with is we find ourselves here. Like this is really like we finally find like the place that we fit in or we find our group and, and we finally feel like a part of. And so if you're wondering if copywriting is for you or how to start like building relationships, sign up for email lists and start hitting reply. That was, and that's because, yeah, that's how I have a relationship. Um, one of the top 100 copywriters of all time. We've never like actually met or anything, but yeah, like we keep in touch on a pretty regular basis. And I, one of the first things that one of the first pitches I sent was actually to Shanti. And that was because I was like, if she can do this from like a place of empathy, like the, the market, like the entrepreneur's ecosystem and that like marketing and empathy are, aren't opposites, but you can actually vary in a real way, bring them together. And I have not yet had anybody like, like respond in a negative way to that. I've only made like really awesome and meaningful connections. And at like the worst, like they didn't reply back. And what I had for everyone that didn't reply back, I had nine that did. And so I'm even, I'm in a different mentorship like this year. And we're talking about like how to, <clears throat> like how to go out and get new clients and stuff and like what the right path is for us as individuals. And, uh, and he's like, you build relationships. Like he's like, that's what you do. That's what you're really good at. Like even with me, like he was part of the bundle too, right? So he's like, the, like, it's just you showing up as you. And like that works for clients too, by the way. 
And so, yeah, I started doing that. And then, but I really love working with other copywriters. Like I do, like I have clients and like other industries, like I showed up thinking I wanted to work in healing kind of thing, because for me, my whole journey was like healing, but that was like the wrong positioning because it's not just, just because healing to me means that, and that's kind of not the way that the rest of the world maybe thinks about it. So it's more in terms of like, I really want to work with more purpose-driven organizations and brands, like business people by accident, almost, right? Like they, they care about the world and what's going on and the actual people in it. And, and it's important to them that they use their business to, to do good things. And so those are, it's more, they're looking for like more of a sustainable and like equitable future. And there's a lot of copywriters who like me also value that. And so as much as I love like all the clients that I've worked with and like I, I do still seek out like business owners and in, in different industries, I really love copywriter business owners. And so I've done, I've done that and like I'm actually actively trying to pursue more of that. Can I ask, let's go into that a little bit more specifically because you've grown your business to a pretty consistent level. I know oftentimes people talk about this goal, the six figure business or whatever. I'm not sure that you're quite there yet, but you're earning consistent, good money consistently. How do relationships play into that? Can you draw the line for us between relationship formation and dollars at the end of a project? Yeah, I get it's because when you when it's all built like on a relationship even when it goes not as expected or if it goes like maybe categorically badly because it's based in a in an authentic existing relationship it's for me it's easy to recover from that because both parties see each other as like the very like human that we are and so when I've built these these gigs or whatever, like off relationships, it's more it's a more holistic thing because yes, the writing and the results and the outcome are like the most important thing. That's what we all show up to do. But the unexpected is a thing. It's a part of almost everything that we do, and it's we can't always plan or account for that to not happen. And so, yeah, having that foundation of, of the relationship before things maybe go sideways leaves those doors open as opposed to like burning bridges. These days, we're hearing a lot of copywriters say they're struggling to find clients and cold outreach is hard. And one of the reasons that it's hard is because it, there's no relationship there. And so it feels to me like the ability to build relationships before you need them is a bit of a secret power when it comes to keeping a business consistent. And a lot of us get so wrapped up in the work that we're doing that we don't take time to actually create. And I'm not talking about build your network, make a connection on LinkedIn. I'm talking about real relationships, friendships, even people you want to hang out with, go to dinner with, have drinks with, whatever. You seem really good at that. And I think a lot of us, myself included, don't do that all that all the time. I like that you actually, you, you nailed it. Build the relationships before you need them. Because yeah, we're all in this online space and cold pitching. I have not really been successful cold pitching. It's It becomes, even though it's like written words and I've like really put like a lot of research into them as an, it's still, there's a disconnect. Like it still does feel very cold, no matter how much effort like I put into it. So building the relationship before you need it, people don't feel like you're just trying to get something out of them because there's like this really, there's this mutual sense of like reciprocity and respect and love and, and people want to show up for the people that they love, right? So when you hit a wall or when, when you struggle or you need a little bit of support, you already have people who like are really genuinely invested in you and in your success and like the best all like all the best clients like all the best work I've had have come from referrals right like one of them was like through my copy crew and and she knew that so she heard from someone that she had used to work with and she said no you know what I know the perfect copywriter for you and so she connected us and it was it was a really great relationship actually not with the company but with the the, the connection right like the she was the VP of marketing and that, that really her relationship with the company ended so my relationship with the company ended 
but her and I still have a relationship to this day. And like, it was a couple months later when she's, Hey, what are you up to? Because I know this other place and they're looking for a copywriter. And I really think that you're the right fit for them. Um, and uh, when I'm looking for other copywriters that I want to work with, like we already have these relationships. And so it's easy for me to show up and say, Hey, we always have these like really dusty, like marketing plans and like content strategies that we someday we're going to do, or someday we're going to implement. And so like, I would love to help you dust that off and put that out there. And because like, we already have like existing, like that relationship, they, it's easier to believe that's coming from like a, a real place and not just a, I'm looking for clients. And so it's easier to try to reach out to copywriters. Like it's, yeah, it's less of, it's, a genuine thing, not just a, an easy way out thing. All right. I know we're nearing the end of our time together. And I just want to hear about what's next for you. If you can sum it up in a minute or two, what are you excited about? What's coming up next? So I am really starting to bring anti-racism work into my business and into everything that I do because I'm on LinkedIn like a fair bit. And it's like this quote unquote professional platform. And there are these like conversations happening there and black indigenous and racialized women are sharing about their experiences. And then like in the comments, there's a lot of, and it happens to be mostly cis white men who are saying like, this is a professional platform. This doesn't belong here. Like, why are you being divisive? Like, why are you starting trouble? but it's not divisive and it's not starting trouble. This is their experience, like 100% their actual experience. And so it is a very professional topic because this is happening, not just in their personal lives, but in their professional lives. Like there are systems in, in sort of place that, that make, that create barriers to access for some of them that maybe don't exist for me as like a white woman. And so there, I have a lot of power. We talk about like white privilege and stuff. And like, I, I want to do something meaningful with that. And, and so it's really become a big part of my business. Like I put a, a lot of it on LinkedIn. I actually had someone ghost me. Like I had a prospect and like he found me, I can't remember exactly where he found me, but he, he reached out like email and stuff. And he was like, wow, this seems great. And so he ended up on my LinkedIn profile and then just suddenly the correspondence stopped. And uh, I'm really okay with that because I don't want to find myself in like an awkward position where we've kicked off and we have this professional sort of relationship and project going. And then like I find out that maybe they're not kind, maybe, and they're more willing to uphold these systems than they are to join us in identifying and dismantling them. And so I only want to work with other businesses that share my values. And so the best way to make sure that happens is being like really like open and vocal about it. And it's not just for my benefit. It was, that's for, it's for a real reason. Like this is, it's not just like a, an optics or a jest or this is my positioning. This is like the real life experiences of, of real humans who are suffering. Like I have a son and he's 12 and he's beautiful. He's like blue eyed, like blonde haired boy. And so he could probably get away with murder. <laughs> Whereas like my black friends, their little boys around the same age are suddenly going from being like this cute, like the world sees him as like this cute little thing to overnight, like a man. And now they're afraid of him. And that's such a different experience from like my experience, like raising my son. And I just want to be a part of like a, a better solution, like calling, like calling attention to that. Like it is what it is and, and inviting other people into the in community and help make a safer world for all the little, you know, little boys, like little girls too, but it's really stark. Like the difference, my friends are, they teach their sons, like you can't go into a store with your hood up, even though you're introverted and you're, you're a little bit shy, that's not safe for you. I can't imagine telling my son that it's not safe for you to put up your hood and because you feel better that way. So it, some people, it doesn't feel professional, but I don't understand how I could show up as a professional without incorporating that, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yep. Different voices for different people and you attract the clients that you want to work with and someone else may take a totally different approach, work with different clients. And that's the thing that makes the world interesting for all of us. 
Jess, if somebody wants to connect with you or follow you, where should they go? Find me on LinkedIn. I guess that link will be in the notes. We'll, we'll definitely include it in the show notes so people can reach out and connect with you. And thank you for your time sharing so much. We didn't cover a ton about your business, but we definitely covered a lot of like really deep emotional things we don't talk about often, which is an interesting discussion and hopefully helpful for everybody listening. So thank you for being so open and willing to share. Thank you. It's hard. We can't pull our personal selves really away from that professional selves. And I think that's part of the problem, right? The sense of like, professionalism only looks a certain way. So I'm really like glad to have this opportunity to like really show how entwined they are. That's the end of our interview with Jess Kelly. Before we go, let's touch on a few more things that stood out. So Rob, I'll let you kick it off again. Yeah, again, well, let's revisit that idea of building relationships. So such a huge part of what we do as copywriters. And obviously, we have an entire program about it, you know, the P7 client finding program that that we teach people how do you take a cold relationship and warm it up so that the pitch that you make actually lands, it's warm, it's welcome, as opposed to, you know, easily forgotten and dismissed. But even going a step beyond that, uh, I think a lot of what Jess does, she, she's not necessarily looking for a client when she's building a relationship. She's literally looking for a relationship. And those are often turning in clients. And I think there's a lesson here that the relationship comes first. We need to start there. Uh, you know, pitching before or without that relationship is so much more difficult. And, you know, it's something that we all ought to be doing more of is connecting whether it's online but even better in person or you know through a more personal media like email uh or you know direct messages those kinds of things now i'm I'm not saying hey you know be pitching everybody in your circle or anything that's you know outwardly creepy or anything like that but just creating friendships being there for other people sharing resources ideas tips um, acknowledging their successes. And eventually that stuff will produce maybe not client relationships, but it will produce good things in our businesses. In addition to that, I know that Jess really focuses on values and she's niched down based off her values. And I think that's something that you know you and I talk about a lot when we talk about niching and how you can niche in so many creative ways. And then you can even stack stack different niches together to have uh, a unique combination of niches that maybe you know you're the only one who's showing up in that way and it allows you to really uh, differentiate from everyone else in the marketplace and so she's done that through values and niching based on her values and other ways of niching too uh, i think it's something that i'm seeing more and more copywriters do that and talk about their viewpoints and talk about what they care about uh, in their own marketing messages and really leaning into what's important to them, what they care deeply about, and connecting with their clients based off those shared interests and those shared values. And so that it can be a really strategic way to grow your business that um, may be useful to you if you are interested in pursuing a niche based off values and viewpoints. I don't think it's a fit for everyone, but I think it's something that could help you if you're feeling stuck with your niche and you're working with a lot of clients that don't really connect with you and you're feeling like not growing your business. Um, it might be worth thinking like Jess you know, has in her business and niching in a new way. Yeah. I mean, we talked a lot about that uh, recently in our interview with Peter O'Brien Day on the podcast as well. You know, vision stuff matters. And it's actually kind of become a hot topic with what's been happening uh, with a couple of companies stepping into promotions and then backing away from them, speaking specifically about Light, Target, others. And I'm not um, passing judgment on, on what they do or didn't do, but rather saying when you market based on your values, you need to be very clear on what you believe and then you need to stick to it. You know, if you're going to lean into a message, when people push back, you need to stick with it and and know that that is the value. That's the thing that you believe. Otherwise, people see it as value washing, right? Or whatever the phrase would be that, that you know, you're just trying to market to an audience and you don't really care about that shared value. Uh, and so, if you know, if you're leaning into your values, do it 
all the way and and be aware that the consequences, even the negative ones, are what you're signing up for and don't quit on your values. All right. So we want to thank Jess Kelly for jo joining the show for a candid conversation about her life and business. If you'd like to connect with Jess, you can find her on LinkedIn at Jess Kelly Writer, link to in the show notes. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro is composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave a review of the show. And be sure to check out our other podcast, AI for Creative Entrepreneurs, all about artificial intelligence and how copywriters and other creatives are using it to be better at what we do. You can find that show at AIforCreativeEntrepreneurs.com. And just a final reminder, the Copywriter Accelerator is coming soon. You definitely want to be on the wait list so you don't miss out on the announcements and upcoming challenge. Head over to the CopywriterAccelerator.com to get notified when the doors open and to access the bonuses we'll be sharing there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help 